Good morning, Rhode Island. It is a cold but sunny day here in the Ocean State, and I'm coming back at you from the RAU2 studio with another episode of Mark's Remarks. Today, I'm joined by a special friend of mine. As some of you may know, I'm the social media manager for the URI men's club lacrosse team here on campus. So today, I'm joined by one of their captains, an LSM and Rhode Island native, Ian Shermerhorn. Ian, how you doing, Bo? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mark? I'm, I'm honestly chilling. I've been looking forward to doing an interview like this for a while. Um, obviously, a lot since it's a club sport, a lot of people probably aren't like as knowledgeable to like how this team works and the success that this program has had. So, I mean, just a little background right now. The Rhode Island men's club lacrosse team are the number one club team in the country. They boast a record of 8-1, and one, averaging almost like 15, 16 goals a game. And they're really just one of the most dominant forces in club lacrosse right now. They were dominant last year, making a run to the national championship game. And they're continuing where they left off on this season. So, I mean... And before we get into some of just like your past stuff, because obviously you got a pretty cool story to tell being a Rhode Island guy, just sort of what's been the vibe like this season, knowing how last season went, winning the CLC, making the national championship down in Texas, and then coming into here with expectations having been higher, what's kind of the vibe like right now? Yeah, well, the expectations are, you know, extremely different from last year. Last year, you know, we got into the uh, CLC championship and we won that and we didn't even get an automatic qualifier to nationals. So when we got two nationals by a at-large bid, uh, we weren't expected to win a game. We were the seventh seed and still weren't expected to win a game. So made it through Utah, Montana, UNC Charlotte to face Utah again, or we beat Utah State to face actual Utah in the championship. Um, just fell short but you know that was a huge step for us because like I said we weren't expected to win a game down in Texas so this year coming in we knew we were forced to be reckoned with and we knew that you know we had something to prove because of how good we did last year the program like we were talking about before th before this the program has not been this successful for a long period of time you talked about how your freshman year when you would you would come to URI during COVID, squad probably played four games. And they had just transitioned from Division One club to Division Two club because there's no varsity equivalent here at Rhode Island. And they just weren't a successful program. But then to see just kind of like the really quick turnaround and then all of a sudden you've got a, a group of talented D3 to D2 level guys that can really like rip up a lacrosse field kind of as when you got here, you, you saw the lows and now you've seen some of the highs of the squad. What was that sort of like going in with expectations just being basically at the floor? Yeah, my, my first year here was, was very low. Uh, we played basically just Rhode Island teams. So we played Bryant, who's actually not MCLA, they're NCLL. Uh, we played some other teams in New England, but we didn't really get outside of that. Just like it was, it was COVID, so we didn't have many kids in the team to be, you know, to start with. Um, but that next year came in, we brought in a defensive coach, Coach Chris, um, and that kind of helped us on the defensive side to try and, you know, step it up and really, really work on how good we could be. Um, but then, you know, as the year went on, we realized. Oh, we're actually we're actually a really good team, and you know we knew that, 
but the rest of you know the MCLA didn't know that at the time and then you know this year we made another big step and we're we're continuing to try and grow this program I know last year we barely cut kids and this year we had probably 65 almost 70 kids try up you know it was it was huge to be you know thinking like wow we're actually we're actually getting somewhere it's really cool to see just that added attention come onto the team because after most people doubted you going into the national championships and then you make a run to the final that whether you like the fact that you didn't win it obviously disappointed as a player but there's so much more that comes with that it's the notoriety of knowing you actually got there and it's the added attention that's brought on campus because i mean now you're getting newspapers that are interested in covering you guys you have all of these players like you said showing up to come try out they probably a lot of guys probably didn't know that there even was a club lacrosse team and now all of a sudden people are seeing that this is a nationally competitive organization they're like oh we want to get involved so it's really interesting to kind of just see that quick growth because when you're coming to college athletics you really don't see that very often like it's usually rare that you see a program go from being like a complete like bottom feeder low end sort of school to then all of a sudden where you're competing for a national championship in the span of like a year or two so it's very cool to see that firsthand and i feel like a lot of fans are starting to see that as well considering like um after when we played stonehill and central connecticut the first two home games that was probably one of the bigger home crowds i had seen over the past like year or so yeah we definitely have had uh, a growth of not only people coming to our games but kids on the team uh, who didn't you know play last year so they came in this year who aren't freshmen but they were like I just didn't play last year because you know they didn't they didn't want to we could do start who didn't play last year and now they're now they're basically starting so um, it's a big upkeep in that you know we get a lot of support from the campus you know um, our president Mark Parlan just comes to our games he talked to us after our um, our last our last win came down to the field had some had some good words for us so that was that was huge to be like the president of our entire school is coming to our club lacrosse game which kind of shows like you know how important it is to be on this team because you don't really think why would any why would anyone do that you know he doesn't have to do that there's no reason for him to go out to a club game like but you know because of the success we've had the past two years I think it's helping him, um, you know, kind of get get together with us, and we we enjoy it. You know, it it kind of gives us a little bit more fuel to like, hey, we're getting we're getting some recognition. We should we got to keep this going. Yeah, he's a pretty big proponent of the team. He's obviously from Europe. I'm blanking on what country he's actually from. Right? Is it Europe or is he Australian? I want to say Australia or New Zealand. That could be. That I don't could think be wrong. it's Europe. I regardless, he. Um, isn't isn't from the united states he's very big into rugby very big into lacrosse because obviously both of those sports are very popular outside of the u.s and it's funny because i when i run the twitter you see him interacting with the account all the time and it's cool to just have that because a lot of schools when you've got like club teams club sports a lot of schools obviously don't take them that competitively especially in the northeast where you've got smaller schools that are more academic oriented it's difficult to see or it's rarer to see a a club sports team really garner so much notoriety and so much success when you're talking about like how like you look at sec schools like you got all those club lacrosse teams down there that don't have any division one equivalents 
they get like a couple thousand people to go watch their games. When you come to the Northeast, you don't get that same luxury because it's a different sports culture up here. So, I mean, it, as a sports media guy, as someone who covers Division One athletics, it's interesting to see sort of the carryover between fandom and how people kind of talk about it. It's very cool to see that. So let's get a little bit into your backstory as one of the Rhode Island natives on the team. There's actually a lot of guys from Rhode Island that make up this team, which is another cool thing about club sports. You get a lot of the athletes from the state itself that come to the university. They want to get a good education for a little bit cheaper. And they're like, all right, I couldn't play division one, division two, division three, but I'm still able to play competitively near my home. So that's a big, big thing as well. But you went to LaSalle, yeah, LaSalle Academy in Providence. So tell me a little bit about your lacrosse experience playing there. Yes, I mean, I played lacrosse my whole life, but uh, playing at LaSalle, I played for Coach O'Donnell, who um, is, you know, arguably, I mean, to me, he's he's one of the best coaches of all time. He prides uh, the team on discipline, and that's, you know, that's the biggest factor when I don't think people realize. So that's what I kind of bring my game into and I know there's some another few LaSalle kids that are on the team um but you know we we went into a program that was already built up at LaSalle who was coming off of you know five six straight Rhode Island championships playing teams outside uh BC highs varying some top Massachusetts teams and still you know putting up games and beating them so we had we had an already established program that we came into and had to continue our role there. Uh, I know Keegan Riley uh, was there. Our now assistant coach Charlie White played and a graduate Brett Dolan, Christian Riley also played at LaSalle. So you had a group of guys who already had played together come into URI, which was awesome because, you know, we already had that that solid structure from playing at LaSalle, which was, which was awesome to kind of come into. So you talked about how you played a number of different positions when you were playing at LaSalle, and now you're in LSM, a long stick midi for the Rams. Kind of your experience is playing all the different positions at LaSalle. What kind of helped you hone in on what you really wanted to play on the, on the field? Yeah, so I got switched over. I mean, playing every position is kind of like just a kid growing up, just loving the game. That's, that's kind of how it was. Um, if I got hurt, I played whatever position, but... Playing at LaSalle, like I got in, we had uh, all of our three starting defense was uh, kids who were going to go play in college somewhere, Division One, Division Three. You got a kid at Rutgers, two kids at Bryant right now, so that's pretty huge. And so my job was basically get the ground ball on faceoffs. Being a hockey kid, I'm used to having a ball on the ground, puck on the ground. So it's kind of that was my big thing was just being able to find the ground ball and you know create space I like to think I'm a little offensive oriented so I like to I like to get up and try and you know get an assist get a get a shot on goal maybe score a little bit but um, that was my big thing was definitely just ground balls you know I think I pride myself on trying to get as many ground balls a game and you know try and if we can at least take that factor out of the game I think that puts us in a good position so as you were playing Lax at LaSalle and as you were going in did you win uh state championships while you were there or? yeah we went we won uh three years in a row our freshman sophomore and junior year obviously our senior year was COVID year so we didn't get to play which was tough I remember that freshman year 
we faced Moses Brown in our first home game of the season. It was raining out. We went to overtime and we lost. And so that was kind of the set for the rest of the season where it was, we're not going to let this happen. We showed up to the championship and we beat them 15-0. That was the biggest game. It was so much fun. You're an interesting case because you're one of the first athletes who I've talked to where it was like their senior year that got severely impacted due to COVID. So, I mean, as both like an athlete and a student, because like uh, COVID had come around during my junior year, I had lost like the second half of my junior year, the first half of my senior year during all the COVID regulations, the masking cohorts and so forth. But as an athlete and a student, you're in the midst of trying to apply to college. You're trying to figure out your future. Just kind of how was that like trying to juggle all of the different responsibilities you had while also, you know, trying to stay safe during COVID? Yeah, we finished all of our captain's practices that, you know, my senior year. And that next week we were starting tryouts. So it was like that last that last one more week and we would have we would have been playing. So that was that was a huge bummer to just to just get it kind of taken away. But I mean it was it was weird because at that point as a senior in high school, you know, you kind of already had all of our submissions to like colleges. We were just kind of waiting for, you know, the admission letters like hey, if you got in or not because you already had to have everything submitted by then. So it was kind of a waiting game once once COVID hit. Like we were at home, you know, trying to do school online, which was weird as a senior in high school because you didn't want to take it seriously at all. I know I I got my work done, but I can't say I took it seriously. Um, but it was it was it was a really big different like struggle to try and you know finish out the year and also try and stay positive with losing you know your senior year of high school like your last time playing lacrosse in high school like I lacrosse season was always the most fun for me in high school so it was the it was really like I, it was sad straight up it was it was sad you had you made the decision on like what you had wanted to do in terms of playing college lacrosse had you had kind of come to terms with like whether or not you wanted to before COVID or was COVID like a big factor in that decision no for me for me I knew I was coming to URI already so that kind of helped me out um but it definitely you know had a had a thought like maybe I maybe I won't play you know club in, in college you know maybe that, that was it for lacrosse but I definitely am happy that I I didn't go through with that I'm happy I'm still playing uh but yeah now COVID it it definitely made you know decisions a lot harder so was you or I always your first choice when it came to just schooling in general? Because, I mean, you're an engineering major. It's a pretty competitive field. A lot of really good schools, especially in the Northeast, for that field. So was you or I always, like, a school that you had honed in on? Is like, yeah, I think this is where I want to go. Yeah, you or I was my, was my top school, especially with the addition of the new uh, engineering building, Fascitelli. That, be- that building's amazing. It's amazing. So, uh, that was a big factor in it, you know, being a home state, getting some in-state tuition was also a major, major factor in it. I was looking at, you know, UMass Amherst and UConn, just some, some state schools in the area, but, you know, coming to URI, it, it made the most sense to stay here, especially, you know, with the COVID year, I was like, why am I going to go somewhere and, you know, not have a year when I can, you know, stay in state, pay less money, and it's been the best decision I made. So you talked about how your affinity for the LaSalle head coach. How did, how was your like relationship with him? Did 
do you, would you credit him for like really kind of setting you up on the path that you are right now? Yeah, so I played um, I played Next Level when it was still Next Level. Now it's Bulldogs, so which is a club team that Coach O'Donnell runs. I played that since I was you know in third grade, fourth grade. So those basic like real learning years, he kind of kind of helped set me up, and then. Uh, you know coming into high school that's a big time when people like start kind of figuring out who they are so uh, but obviously lacrosse wise he kind of gave us the the rundown of of you know you need to work hard because not only is it going to make you a better lacrosse player it's going to make you a better person and that was kind of his big thing was he's not trying to build just lacrosse players he was trying to build better people and you don't really realize that until I got out of high school but you know, he was he was hard on us and he said if he was still yelling at you, that means he didn't give up on you. And so that was kind of a big thing because, you know, getting someone to be on your back kinda of sucks, but at the same time, like when you know they care and they know, you know, you wanna do better, it, it helps you out, you know, makes you really wanna wanna play for him. So then what was sort of the transition like going from O'Donnell to Coach Larry Medeiros, the head coach here? Larry's a bit more reserved he's not doesn't he's not a guy that will all really get on you but i mean like when you deserve it he he can really get on your back yeah it's definitely a different shift coaching wise but you know i've i feel like i have uh the od mentality kind of ingrained in my brain you see it a lot um between me keegan and, and charlie this year uh especially charlie charlie when he's coaching definitely gets a little little od in it and i i i, I love it it's great because it brings a different kind of structure to practices um, and games, definitely. But it's it definitely makes you kind of like remember like your roots, I guess. But at the same time, like as much as it's a fun thing, like I still want to win, and so that's like the major thing I'm going out. Like if I'm not playing well, like I need to figure it out because I want to win. So you've now had experiences with Charlie at three different levels. You had. Your first at LaSalle, now at URI's player, and then Charlie, one of the best lacrosse players the school's ever had, is now a graduate assistant, works at the alumni office here on campus, but is a graduate assistant for the Rams. What what was it like playing in high school with him? Because obviously now he was a pretty dominant presence. He was a dominant presence on the field last year for the Rams, and now coaching, he still brings carries that energy with him. So, I mean, in high school, what was it like playing with him? It was it was tough. You know, I came in freshman year to tryouts, and we did one-on-ones, and Charlie was the first person I went against, and he bullied me. Just just bullied me. He backed me down and shot it right over me and scored, and I was like, well, that's it. So, um, but no, through the rest of the year, it got better. Charlie was a great, um, you know, he was a great captain. He was a great team player. He kind of tried to get people up. Um, but no, playing with him was, was really fun at LaSalle and then getting here and playing with him was, you know, it, it brought back the same type of, type of mentality almost. Cause you know, he could, t- he could take over a game, which was awesome to have. And then, you know, coaching with him or seeing him coach now, it's a li- it's a little different. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm still like a, you try and act as he's a coach, but it's also like, I've known the kid forever. So it's like, he's a friend, but I, I kind of reserve myself half the time or most of the time because you know obviously you got to respect the coach and you know he knows what he's talking about which is awesome so that that helps us out a lot you talked about how he can really take over a game and i feel like that if you if anybody went to games last year it was 
incredibly apparent. He was one of the guys, one of those few attackmen where it was like he would decide a game by himself. When you have a guy like that who can score five, six goals at a time, provide four assists, and you win like 12 to three, how big of a boost is it just from a morale standpoint knowing that you have a guy right there that you can constantly look to to really get you out of jams or to just separate yourself in a game. Yeah, it's awesome, especially because, you know, we don't have one guy like that this year. We got six, seven guys who can do that this year, which is awesome. You know, uh, Keegan can do it, Ant can do it, Adrian can do it, you know, Sauce can do it. You know, anybody on the team who's who's playing has the ability to do that. It's just any given day, which is which is the best part. You know, our team really has been you know brought up as you know if you don't have a great game someone else is having a great game so that's that's a huge boost to to your own self-esteem like hey man i could be i could be down today but you know we're still gonna get the win and that's that's what it's all about it's really cool seeing because i agree with you and it's very neat because like sometimes i do the stats on the sideline so i'm sitting there tracking the stats seeing the shots and just seeing kind of how the offense flows and you've got guys like kennedy I think Kennedy's oh, almost yeah. got 20 goals this season already. He's yeah, probably got Ken's 20 goals in his like last four games. And so it's funny when you when you see guys like that where if you're looking at it pregame, you're almost not you're not expecting that type of performance from them. Like I mean, coming into this season, I probably would have assumed that if you're going to be getting anybody like a Charlie performance, it'd be Ant every time. You'd be getting a guy like Ant to have five and four every game. But then you've got guys like Sauce who'd come in, score four or five goals a game or get. He got like six assists against Stonehill. You got guys like Kennedy who could score six goals at a time, get no assists, but he's all up and running the offense. So it's, I agree that it's, uh, you have all of these different players and it's a testament to just how big the program has grown in terms of like its reputation in attracting people to come do that. Because now you've got guys that are kind of looking at the college game and looking at the structure of some of these teams and they're like all right you know what maybe i don't want to play d3 maybe i'll go play division one or division two club and not have all of the additional stress of being a college like athlete and still being able to compete at such a high level yeah it's it's so much fun like you said you know with ken uh like every everybody that's on the team right now can go out and and take over a game i think anybody on the offense can go out and take over a game whether it be first second third line doesn't matter every single kid on the team right now is playing some real good lacrosse and is really trying to make a difference this year i think you know we have kids who transferred in from from uh ncaa division two teams who are making a difference right now ken being one of them um so he's you know that's a big addition and i think it's awesome because you don't want that whole extra pressure of being an NCAA athlete, having to deal with all of that extra stuff. Yeah, like, you still want to play lacrosse, you still want to win, but it's it's just slightly less stress at the same time. But, you know, you still you still want to go out there, you still want to compete, you still want to win. Absolutely. It's, it's Absolutely. hard. Yeah. And it, 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 the competitiveness of this team, I feel like, is what one of the biggest draws to go play for them is that, You've got a club team that people are starting to kind of figure out, and it's just really, really competitive. And it's like you look at URI and you're like, all right, well, they're reasonable basketball, reasonable football. Like you get fans that you got the D1 atmosphere. Then you could look at lacrosse, national contenders. Whoa, 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 what is this? 
And so and that's what, like, I feel like a lot of people, when they look at the school now, they're going to be looking at that. And it's like, I, you talk about it with people that run, like, all different social stuff. You see people on campus that do different sports organizations, news organizations, that they're finally starting to, like, give the team some more attention. Because I feel like now people are starting to realize, all right, there's another competitive program on campus. And that's only going to benefit the team going forward. And so this is a little switching gears. I want to talk a little bit more about the coaching. Last year, it was Coach Larry, Coach Chris. It was two coaches. Larry probably took a little bit more of the offense, but he's the head coach overall. Chris, defensive-minded. This year, Charlie graduates, comes back as an offensive coordinator. Coach Jamie comes in, played at UVM. He's a Narragansett native. How does that sort of change the dynamic of how you prepare for games, having two younger guys, but also two guys that are offensively-minded and recently played the game so they know how the current game works. Yeah, um, I know having just Chris and Larry was was obviously, like, they did great. You know, Larry won MCLA Coach of the Year last year, which was huge. Um, Chris comes in, he takes over the defense. Larry, you know, he's, he's great with the goalies, and that's awesome. But just having extra coaches, like when we went and played in, in Texas – every single team had at least four coaches so like for us to just have two it was like maybe you know a coach is missing something like they don't see something that like having more coaches and i think that's the biggest thing this year is having you know charlie and um and jamie like they can focus on the offense try and see more if one person misses something and then larry can help float around help with the defense help with the goalies you know kind of get the whole team together which is which is awesome. You know, having having Charlie and, and Jamie there really helps out that offense, too. Who would you say is the coach that has the most impact on midfielders? Obviously, you got the O-middies, the D-middies, and that's kind of split. But are there any coaches that fully grasp, like, the entirety of the midfield position that really helps explain and gets tactics through to you guys? Um... I think it's I think it's kind of split, you know. Defense really like we we split up OD like Chris and Larry take over defense, and then offense is really just Jamie and um, and Charlie. But I think we all all four of the coaches they mesh really well together, um, which is awesome to have because they don't butt heads. They try and they try and really like make it one team and kind of one goal, which is the biggest thing. And so no, we don't really have like just the middies being having one coach i think everybody knows what they're supposed to do right now and i think that's that's the goal is having everyone know what they're supposed to do do it right and do it well so there's a new sense of sort of accountability on the squad now and that's a big deal as well considering it is a club team and a lot of the students have extracurricular stuff that they do outside of club lacrosse a lot of them are involved in greek life a lot of them are involved in other organizations on campus so as one of the captains uh, talk about just a little bit what the accountability means for this team because when you see it during practices there's obviously some guys may have class so they're not able to make a practice and some guys may have this event or another that allows them to not really be fully present but there's still Every practice, every game, there's still full accountability from everyone, which is something that you don't often see with programs of this size. So, I mean, as one of the captains, what is that kind of like instilling that sense of accountability, especially in the younger guys? Yes, that's the tough thing about club is that, you know, um, you don't have your classes kind of 
picked based off of like practice schedule because you know we get late practices it's it's club i get it um so every practice you know we're missing kids at the start or they gotta leave early and we understand like school comes first i've always been a school comes first person that's how my family that's how it's always been so it's it's fine if you gotta miss like it it happens everyone everyone misses days and i know if coaches can't be there we all got other things you know this isn't their main job but everyone wants to be here and i think that's the biggest thing was that you know if you still want to be there and you know you're you got to be late to practice that's fine as long as you still put your work in once you're at practice and then once you're in games you know i think that's that's the biggest thing and that instilling that sense of accountability in the freshmen i feel like is a very big goal for most programs i mean when you are just coming into college life especially coming to college here at rhode island sometimes you can kind of lose yourself in just the hustle and bustle of everything you're new to the entire scene so then having freshmen sort of like like davis lee davis lee is an underclassman one of the more impactful guys especially on offense so how is it having some of those younger guys that you can really turn to that you know they're responsible you know that they're able to contribute in practices and in games and they really just take the message wholeheartedly about what this program is trying to do i think that definitely stems from how well the team gets along um you know i think having you know kids live together on the team is is a big help because kids that aren't even in the same grade you know that's that's one more thing like you're always with lacrosse kids we try and make it so that you know you're always with the guys it's it's more of than just like the team it's its own little like i don't really i don't want to call it like its own its own little like collective yeah it's its own little community you know we try and get uh together we try and make it so that you know everyone's obviously everyone's included it's a team aspect you always want to be with with the team so that's a big thing like i'm the first one to get on myself and i'll get on everybody else at practice like when it comes to like accountability and stuff and making sure people are working we're talking doing everything but you know the freshmen have been really good about getting together and actually like buying into what we're trying to do and realizing like hey guys like we did really good last year and we had the opportunity to like go back and do it again so in the intensities with practice obviously when you're talking about like varsity programs around here it's exceptionally intense but the club scene it's intense practices as well i mean you've got three practices a week they're all usually pretty late six to eight eight to ten sometimes and then you've got other film days as well how intense can the film days be obviously you need to go through a lot for lacrosse in general but for such a competitive club team what's like a typical film session like uh film's usually gonna go over our games uh kind of a breakdown chris will or at least defensively Chris is probably going to watch our game before most of the team does anyways. So he's going to go in, he's going to get his points across so that when we do have film, we can kind of skip over the little stuff and go right into exactly what we want to see. I know we got film this weekend uh, before the game on Sunday. So Saturday is going to be, we're going to go over the past two games and then we're going to go over our game against Kennesaw, I believe, because we have one thing that we did really well in Kennesaw, and we kind of dropped down from that. So we're going to take a good look and try and uh, try and figure out kind of where we where we took a step back. Are the preparation intensities going into a game, like you've got the practices and the film sessions and stuff, 
you're going from one exceptionally competitive program in high school to now a competitive club program. Uh, what are sort of the similarities and differences between that? Because obviously LaSalle Academy is an exceptionally competitive athletic school, and then URI, it's a club program that wasn't competitive at the start. It's now gotten a lot competitive, but it's still not varsity level. And so you don't you don't really get to see like a lot of people really touch upon the difference between high school and club. You see usually guys talking about difference between high school and then varsity athletics in college, and obviously it's a big step up. But to the untrained eye, some people might perceive that as like a, a similar level or not that big of a step. So I mean, what's kind of like some of the similarities and differences between both? I think the biggest thing is kind of how a person themselves goes get, goes about getting ready for a game. You know, if you have the same thing you did in high school, I do, like, kind of the same thing I've been doing all my life for a game, same type of food, you know, for games. I try and get ready the same. So, like, that's that's a it's a lot of big personal things, but, you know, um, I think depending on the club team, depending on your high school team, it's going to change a lot on how people run their practices, how people run their films, how you know, everyone kind of does their own preparation for a game. It's a very team-dependent thing. So I can't really figure out exactly how the main thing is. I think just the biggest thing is, you know, for high school, we got out and we could practice five days a week. And now being here, like, we can't practice five days a week. We don't have the ability to practice five days a week. You know, I think even if we could, I don't think we'd have the numbers every single practice. So it's almost better that we kind of don't have as much time because when we're there, we're there, we're going hard, we're making sure we're getting every minute in, and we're making sure that we get better to to get better in the game. And so the interesting thing about the structure of these club teams as well that a lot of people probably aren't realize is that these are student-run. It's student boards, there's a board of directors that have different responsibilities in keeping the club um, say sort of active and running because I mean it's a club at the end of the day and this year especially is an example of that I mean they just uh, the team just recently announced the uh, golf fundraiser the golf outing at Laurel Lane that's going to be exciting that's April 16th if anybody is interested you can go look at the Rody Lax Instagram page have a graphic up there talking about the fundraiser but how is um as having like a board of like directors and stuff for that how has that sort of just like helped you guys sort of learn about other things? Because like you have to kind of learn how to market yourself. You need to learn like how to uh, interact with like professional uh, corporations and interact with all these different entities to keep the club afloat. And to put all of that responsibility on college students is a lot, but you still have to like kind of learn to go through it. So I mean like in doing so as someone who has some big responsibilities on the team. How has that kind of, like, helped you sort of mature through your couple years here? Yeah, it's definitely tough. Uh, I know the president and vice president role is definitely, they do a lot. So thanks, Marshall. Thanks, Sag. Like, they did a great job the past two years um, and getting the team going and trying to get us everywhere that we need to be. Even, you know, um, secretary, seasick role, treasurer, every single guy that's working in, our our office positions has done a great job trying to trying to make it as smooth as we can i know it's 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 tough sometimes especially you know travel wise that's that's a big thing that's what i did last year trying to make sure all of our travel was set and you know the past few years it's been tough because you know as we are a student organization we got to bring in our own money 
we got to get our own, you know, everything. So sometimes people just don't like dealing with kids and that's what they think we are, you know, because we're still college students. So it's, it's tough sometimes, but I think everyone's done a really good job this year and last year trying to, you know, make sure everything went smooth. And I know personally, it definitely helped out like my ability to just talk to people that I don't really know, like, and have like a professional conversation and try and make sure like they can respect me as well. I'm also being so much younger than most people. Yeah. As, um, and then, so kind of going off of the still being in college, still having like all these like expectations and how lacrosse can sort of help improve a lot of stuff as a captain on the lacrosse team, it's a collaborative field as is engineering the field that you're in academically that's another collaborative field do you sometimes feel like that you take some of your experiences from lacrosse and use them to kind of help you collaborate with other people on like engineering projects or just in the academic field in general oh yeah definitely i i uh my roommate would definitely tell me that sometimes i get into a a little bit more of a of a dictator role instead of a leader role sometimes but um no, I think it's I think it's awesome. Lacrosse has taught me so much, um, especially like values, and then just trying to a be a better person, b being a leader. Um, so yeah, I definitely bring that in to um, engineering and trying to work together in teams, trying to be as professional as I can, making sure you know things get done on time, things get done right, and you know making sure we put our best work in, whether it be academically or on the field. Is it difficult for you to be able to juggle the athletics and the academics together, considering that how intensive engineering can be and then, again, how intensive the club program is? You know, I think sometimes um, it can be, but as long as, you know, I time manage as well as I can, I think I can, you know, I can be there as much as I can, which is awesome. I think that, you know, luckily for me, I don't have any classes that overlap, so my you know my my uh my break between trying to get some work done is going to lacrosse and i think that's that's for me it's it's a great it's a great break so then before the interview we were talking a little bit about just what the future lies for a lot of lacrosse players because lacrosse is one of those sports i think it's one of the highest college participation sports in the u.s at least and then but there isn't really much of it a professional equivalent. Like there's the PLL and the MLL, which are like the two marquee professional lacrosse leagues, but there really isn't much of like a professional scene. So you don't see that many lacrosse players, club, varsity, whatever, that really go into like a professional field. So you're in engineering, that's a pretty competitive, pretty like hands-on field. What are kind of your goals after all this when this is all said and done? Because I mean, you're a junior now, you're going to be heading in to your senior year next year. So what are sort of your goals after URI? Yeah, you know, I'm definitely trying to get a job. Um, probably stay in Rhode Island, New England, definitely um, with with engineering. But, you know, I love lacrosse and I would love to be able to help out, you know, coach somewhere and try and keep, keep that going because, you know, I've been doing it all my life and I... I love it. I want to keep. I want to keep trying to help out, whether it be, you know, coaching at any level. I mean, my dad coached me when I was a kid, so you know, if I got kids, I'd love to coach them. I think it'd be awesome. So, would you want to like stay, just sort of, just stay fully in New England? You feel like your like roots are here. This is kind of where like you'd want to just 
sort of stay, have a family, like get to find a job and do stuff up here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I chose URI because I wanted to be close to my family. I like being able to go home on the weekend, see my mom and dad, you know, see them after games and stuff. So yeah, definitely staying around here would be nice. My older sister still lives in Rhode Island, even though she's, you know, out of the house and stuff. But it's, it's definitely like a good area for me. I loved growing up around here. And so, yeah, staying around here would be nice, you know, help coach out, um, at, you know, maybe somewhere, maybe even here once I graduate would be cool, but I don't know, we'll see. Coach Sherm, yeah. the next head coach of URI Men's Club Lacrosse. Maybe they'll be D1 club by that hey, point. Hey, we could be varsity at that point. You don't know. They yeah. already, they're bringing, what, women's next year? Yeah, women's lacrosse, yeah. yeah. That was, that, that that's interesting because the whole... Title IX in college sports is a very um, interesting phenomenon because when you try to do or look at the equality of women and men's sports at um, URI, for example, there are more women's sports. But then the way that a lot of people, when they look at Title IX, a lot of people are like, oh, wait a minute, that's not equal. There's more women's than men's sports. But the thing is that they do it based off of player rosters and scholarships. And when you've got programs like football which have 100 guys on the roster, that's where the difference is made up. So yeah, the Atlantic 10 um, is in the beginnings of creating a lacrosse conference. I think there's like five or six programs in the men's and women's equivalents in the Atlantic 10, and Rhode Island has a Division One women's team now. They're going to be playing their season starting in 2024, I believe. I believe it's, I believe it's either next year, 2024 fall, or maybe it's... 2024, they've spring. they've already know. been practicing and they base I think they operate in like a, as like a basically a club contingent now, but they do they've se- I've seen them practicing. It's funny because when you look at women's lacrosse and when you look at men's lacrosse, the difference in just how the game operates, yeah. they're so so drastically different. And it's funny. I mean, we were talking about it when we showed up to practice the other day because they were just finishing up theirs mm-hmm. as the men's team was arriving at Mead, and you almost watch it and it's just like. It's it. You got to appreciate that game because they're not similar. You can't compare the two just because the rules and the style of play for women's lacrosse, even the apparel that you wear, is so drastically different. Yeah, it's one of the only sports I feel like that between men's and women, it's so different. I feel like the only other sport that's really that different is you know baseball and softball. I mean, that's really the only other sport that's so drastically different. You know, soccer, it's the same rules. Basketball, it's the same rules besides, you know, the ball size being being different. It's, it's kind of weird, but I think that, you know, even putting in the women's team at URI is a good step for lacrosse in general because, you know, we're getting more kids playing at every level, whether it be, you know, just Rhode Island. I've seen, you know, teams have grown so much just just in the state. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we didn't have many teams. We didn't have, you know, a lot of competition. But now you're getting so many kids that want to play because of how fast-paced the sport is. I think it's awesome that they're at least putting in you know, a woman's team right away because it's it's a stepping stone for us. I think eventually they're gonna they're gonna add a, a men's team and I think that's gonna be great for, you know, all of you or I. I feel like the foundational pieces are really there. I mean, right now the program is eight and one, still got I think four or five more games yeah. left on the season ahead of the national championships in early May. I mean, just let's just talk about a little bit of how this season has sort of unfolded. Eight and one Fur was it first game of the year was against Northeastern was it that was that yeah. the first loss Northeastern so they're uh they're also CLC but they're division one CLC we're division two CLC 
but we lost to them by what I think three goals. We beat them in the fall. Um, but you know that's probably one of our more competitive games that doesn't actually count towards our seeding in D two. Um, we always played them. We played them the past few years. I think we both have a little chip on our shoulders against playing those kids. I know. I know they definitely don't like me, and I know I don't like some of them. But no, it's it's good playing them. It gives us a it gives us some some good competition, especially you know staying in New England um, because. Yeah, we've we've been rolling in in our CLC, but you know we when we go to nationals, and I believe obviously I think we're gonna go, um, we're gonna be playing some some better teams, and I think playing a team like that to start the season is definitely a, a good a good start. So the, after the Northeastern game, the team heads down to Alabama for a non-conference tournament against some southern schools. Uh, Texas A&M, I think, was one. Is University of Miami another one? Yeah, Texas A&M, University of Miami, uh, Kennesaw State, and then I want to say North Florida. It was either North Florida or North Texas. So you play against those schools. Those are southern schools, southern club teams, more competitive. You go 4-0. and And then once you get into CLC play, like actual conference play, the level of difficulty of the teams that you go up against drastically gets gets lower. Stonehill, um, they're making strides, but still not an overly competitive program. Southern Connecticut, who you're playing this um, coming week? Yeah, no, we, ha- we haven't played Southern Connecticut before, but we yeah, play, yeah, we play them. We play them Sunday. I know Stonehill. Stonehill. Um, I think the biggest thing is is the size of the schools. You know, the Southern schools and a lot of the teams that are in our division are so much bigger than the schools in New England. So you automatically have more kids that are at the school, more kids that could try out, more kids that can play. So it's, again, lacrosse is such is growing so much more that we're, as we're still adding teams to CLC. We added UMaine, we added Iona. Um, well, we kind of added Iona, they dropped out, I think. Because <laughs> they're going D1 next year, but that's something different, I think. Um, but no, it's. I think the biggest thing is just the the amount of kids that go to a school definitely has a big factor in you know D one D two um, at least for club. Obviously, all the D one CLC schools are are pretty big schools. BC, UConn, Northeastern. Um, so like those those are some big powerhouse schools. I know BC is third in the country right now in D one. Northeastern, I want to say is top ten. You know they got a lot of kids that are coming in. Their teams are a lot bigger. Then even our team, you know, we, we can only take 40 kids, but like Stonehill and uh, probably only had like 30, 35 kids. I think that's that's the biggest thing is the number of kids you can have on a team definitely has an effect on, um, on how well your team can be. I feel like sometimes these teams are still able to like produce some decent talent. I know Stonehill had two guys too. I think one was a midi, one was an attackman that were both pretty, yeah, pretty good. And then um, Central Connecticut, same deal. Central Connecticut improved a decent amount from their the time you played them last season. Yeah, both, both Stonehill and Central Connecticut got a lot better from last year, for sure. So another thing, just kind of on the mental side of games, when you're playing in these somewhat competitive CLC games where you're beating teams by, like, 15 goals, you're beating them by 10 goals, how do you keep it from playing down to your competition because obviously like yeah it's super competitive but once you're up by like 15 to 3 or something like that 
you don't see, like, I hear Larry and Chris tell you guys, you don't take your foot off the gas. You just keep going and going and going. How do you, as, like, a coach and how on the, uh, not a coach, a captain on the field, kind of instill that amongst your guys? Don't play down to them. You got to continue to keep going. You got to keep going because you're giving them respect to if you continue to play your hardest. Yeah, you got to play all four quarters. You got to finish the games. And obviously, I mean, even if you're going to win the game, you use some of these games as, you know, not necessarily practice, but a reason to go into things that you don't normally do and you perfect them. You know, our biggest thing last year coming into this year was our our, uh, our clears. Our clears were horrendous last year. Um, but this year they've been a lot better. And I think using some of these games as, you know, ways to, or new th- ways to implement, you know, new plays, new tactics in game is definitely helpful because then it helps us out when we play, you know, um, for the, for the championship, stuff like that. So then kind of going off of that as well, playing these CLC games, playing against teams like Southern Connecticut, Central Connecticut, Stonehill, Bridgewater State, you win by so many goals and then you go into the national championships, obviously you know it's going to be a different beast. Like, you know you're playing against teams that are not going to be as poor as some of these other programs. You know you're going to have to really step up. But how does playing those games, winning by like 15 goals, how does that sort of impact your mentality going into games that you know you're are going to be more competitive? You know you're not going to see a score like that. How do you kind of get yourself mentally prepared knowing it's not going to be as easy? Yeah, I mean, for me, I try and go into each game the same. Um, obviously, play my best and just win, however that be. Um, but definitely going into a game where you know it's going to be tough is, is a little bit different because, you know, warm-ups are different. Everything everything feels different. You know, maybe kids are a little bit more tense. People are a little, you know, less focused on maybe some of the games where, you know, it's maybe not going to be as competitive. And I think... If you can try and take away the variable of of how you warm up, I think that's the biggest thing, and just go out there and win regardless of who you're playing. I think that going into I know our game for Kennesaw down in down in Texas, uh, Alabama was was a big game for us because you know we were ranked what third at the time and they were ranked seventh or eighth at the time, so that was a huge game for us. And I know going into that game we were we were ready. You know, we we focused up. We knew what we were doing. We we got ready, however however it may be. So, and then last year, last year the program graduated. Uh, I want to say seven eight seniors, some big players in there. And then the, this year, you're not graduating as many seniors, but there's still a decent amount of really really strong contributors that are going to be going. Adrian, Ant, or two of the first names that kind of jump to mind. Yeah. As someone, yeah, yeah, Billings as well, the starting goalkeeper, as someone who's going to still remain with the team, you're going to become a senior, how does losing those guys sort of impact the offseason? But then how does it also impact your expectations for next season, knowing that there's usually a pretty steady um, influx of underclassmen that are ready to compete? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, every team has to deal with losing seniors, but every team also brings in new kids. Uh, Last year, you know, we lost starting middies. We lost the starting attack. That was was a big step off, but 
kids came in this year and they stepped up they knew what they needed to do davis came in ken came in he started playing awesome um our midi started playing great you know we brought in some freshmen who were playing getting some great time ty ty's doing a great job right now so everyone's kind of you know we're losing kids but we're also gaining a lot and it's it's a new team so you gotta maybe not focus on just one thing that last year's team could do and focus on maybe hey this team's a little different maybe let's let's incorporate this team to be the best that this team can be you know we're not last year's team this team isn't you know one of our biggest things at the start of the season was last year's team was the team that deserved the number two ranking the number one ranking this year's team deserves its own ranking this year's team does not deserve that ranking yet and i still think that after alabama we deserved that that top five ranking i think that was when we finally proved ourselves hey this team deserves that ranking so then going forward depending on how texas goes depending on how the national champions go say you win the national championship or you make it to the final again do you feel like the stepping stones are in place and the foundation is in place to go back up to division one club over the next like year or so i'm not really sure how that whole process probably works, how the transition period is, but do you think that that is something that could possibly be considered over the next few years? Yeah, definitely. I think there's for sure um, a possibility of it, but I know at the same time there's been some some very dominant D2 teams who have been in D2 for like a really long time, St. Thomas being one of them. They're always a top three team, and they've never gotten moved up to D1. So it's like... It's a little weird, but I think I think you know we, we play D one teams in the fall. We play them in the spring. We play Northeastern, so like we definitely have competitive games against them. I think we could work against D one, but I feel like the biggest thing with the difference between D one and D two club is a lot of like your funding and like how much you know teams get from the school. Like obviously we're a student organization, but like we there's a set amount of money for all of club sports that we kind of have to go through a process to request money for. And so we have some really other competitive club sports here. I know Sailing and Crew both competed for the national championship last year. So we're not the only team who's like really taking a step forward. And I think that's the biggest thing that people kind of don't realize. Like our crew and our sailing teams are going up against division one teams, which is awesome for them. And I think they also deserve, you know, some more money, make them a varsity team and, you know, make us a varsity team. I think that would be awesome. But no, I, I do think that we could we could go deal for, you know, to Division One club next year. I do. And so then just the national championships in general, having played in it last year, having gone in with sort of that underdog mentality, being a team that people didn't really expect to do anything, that expectation is not going to be the same this year. You're a top three program unanimously basically decided that you're like a top three program whether it's one two or three people understand that you guys are competitive so going into texas say you win the clc and you get the bid or if you get an automatic bid or an outright bid what are the expectations like now obviously you want to win but is there a, a mentality switch knowing that you don't really have as many people counting you out from the start yeah, you know, our expectations, especially on the defensive side, is, you know, Chris has been saying it since since he came in. We don't want to be the best in Rhode Island. We don't want to be the best in New England. We want to be the best in the nation. And so that's that's our that's our mindset, at least on the defensive side. I know offense is thinking the same thing, but, you know, we think we can go win the national championship. We think we can beat every team. 
And I think if we go out there and we play our game and we play how we're supposed to, I think I think that we can easily do that. Um, but, you know, no, we definitely have an expectation where we should be, you know, in the, at least the semifinal. I shouldn't, we shouldn't go out there and we shouldn't lose. You know, we should, we should win every game. All right. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good stopping point for us today. Ian, thank you for coming in. I'm so happy I finally get to talk about men's club lacrosse and give you guys a little bit more notoriety because Lord knows you guys deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for watching. Once again, I will be back next Friday with a new guest. We're kind of running out of new sports to talk about, so we may be seeing a repeat team featuring next Friday. Going to be sort of figuring that out as it's right before Easter. But as always, thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.